the past few years, we've really seen content creation become an industry in and of itself. We have individuals creating content that's getting more views than any traditional media form. These young individuals are getting hundreds of millions of views for a fraction of the cost, getting better outreach, and being able to sell products to generate revenue that even some startups would be jealous of having these revenue numbers. One of the issues, though, when it comes to content creation is that these individuals are really focused on developing their content. You wouldn't expect a singer to design their own t-shirt, but due to the fact that this industry was a lot smaller and is, is still growing and developing, a lot of these individuals were selling merch, had some negative contentation. These individuals would sell t-shirts that were scratchy, low quality, and really looked or gave a bad idea of really trying to sell out for a buck. However, just like every other industry, as the industry grew, organizations came along that allowed these individuals to focus on really getting their mission and vision created while individuals or the organizations take control over the creative process when it comes to developing merch. Today we connect with Nikita, the founder, one of the co-founders of Juniper, and really go over how he was able to start this business five years ago and be able to develop products for some of the largest content creators out there. What's very interesting about our conversation is, one, how he got into this industry five years ago before there was really a huge market like there is now. So the creation story is very interesting and unique and really inspiring to really view an industry you find that there is a business need for in developing a product. And as the industry grows, so does your business. But really also looking at the challenges, he saw that there was really a lack of quality goods and being able to take out the, really the complexity of it, really focus on getting a content creator's product from ideation onto their consumer or their viewer shelves so is really where the Juniper business takes over the process. Hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Learn a bit more about really how the content creation industry works and how you can develop a business from the ground up. But most importantly, how you can also develop a business without really ever having to raise money. One of the unique things about the store today is how they're able to go from a real really small organization, generate revenue relatively quickly and be able to grow their business to really help some of these seven-figure creators make quality products all around the world. Hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Please subscribe and take a look at Juniper and some of the cool content creators they work with today. Juniper is the premium end-to-end -end merchandising solution for the creator economy. Um, we focus um, heavily on identifying the products that have the perfect product market fit with the brands that we work with, these brands being mostly in the creator space. And we work backwards to figure out how to make these items and launch them to their millions of fans. Um, we started the company about five, six years ago and have grown to uh, about 50, a team of 50. And uh, we've generated uh, a little over $100 million in Canadian revenue uh, over the past five years as well. So it's kind of where we're at today and we have a lot of exciting plans for the future. And obviously the creator economy became very huge over the past few years and it seems to be slowing down by no means. When you were starting out the business, was the intentions for it to be like for creators or was there, are we looking more on the B2B side and then creators was on tap market? Like how'd you come up with the idea? Like now looking back, it makes sense like, YouTube, TikTok, all these creators, millions of dollars, Twitch. But I feel like five years ago, it wasn't as popular of a market, especially for a business to be created in this field. Yeah, I mean, I think about that all the time, to be honest, how we had no idea that the creator economy would turn into what it is today. Um, and it sort of makes uh, makes me feel like, yeah, well, if I do start businesses in the future, I, I do have to have that kind of eye uh, for it well in advance. We got super lucky because my brother was a creator himself. 
So about five, six years ago, when we started the company, um, I was actually, it honestly just started with me helping him explore the industry a bit. He had about 10,000 subscribers at the time. So nothing to laugh at, but like very, very small still mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. And he was kind of taking a poke around and, um, one of the things he looked at and had interest in was physical product. Like how does he get his brand into physical product? And what we saw in the space was just crap, to be honest, right? Like print on demand, which funny enough is kind of the, the new tech, so to speak in it, but not a good way to capture, you know, um, capture brand and trans just transition it to the physical world. So we kind of launched the whole thing from there and, and, and grew it from there, but very lucky to have him as sort of the early wave of creators on, on the platform. And starting out, I mean, probably on many, like you said, most of the people creating content, creating merchandise was that thing was, Hey, I'm just going to print a bunch of shirts, very basic, not much to it just because sponsorship can be hard to come by creating revenue is hard to come by. But also I think we'll talk about this bit is that, you know, content creators or the creator economy, like everyone has their own skill set, and creating merch, creating product is not that simple. There is a process, there's supply chain, a lot of these issues that kind of come with it. When you kind of, when you were starting out, wasn't pretty inbound focus. Like we're, it, were creators looking for ways to merchandise or was it a, you know, a quick email and then people were like, Oh wait, I can make more money. Let me learn more. Or how did that initially start? Was it quite organic to start off? Um, we, so we did start off with obviously referrals through my brother and his small network of friends that he had made in the YouTube space. So it felt semi-organic from that perspective. Um, but yeah, it, it turned into outbound pretty, pretty quickly after that. Um, so us, you know, there's a narrative that we had to kind of change in the space and are still trying to push forward where, again, these creators are used to um, associating a negative context to the word merch or sorry, a negative connotation to the word yeah. merch, where again, it feels like the stuff, the crap that you would buy at uh, a concert, let's say, mm -hmm. or something. And so we have kind of double the work to do in terms of selling the opportunity, but also saying like, there's a different way to think about it here mm -hmm. uh, overall, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I know what you're saying, like having, I guess, similar generation kind of really focused most of the content I get, get is through YouTube or through other social media platforms. The idea of, People are like, oh, selling merch is most of the time seen as like, oh, not selling out, but like, okay, you're just gonna sell me a shirt for eighty dollars, and that's all it's gonna be. But do you know, due to your company and just people understanding that they can get more creative than just having a T-shirt with a face or a word on it, the merch has got more exciting and more, I can be more successful business. And your business is a shining example of how that's grown. When you were starting out obviously merch can like now it's everything like you can like you know there's keychains there's bobbleheads there's all these other content i mean depending on what you consider merch now things are getting a little more digital uh love it or hate it as well when you were starting out were you pretty focused on capturing like the t-shirt segment the plush like was there a segment you were focusing on or was it quite broad just trying to figure out logistics more uh when you started the business early in the days yeah um we very much wanted to be kind of the anti-merch company, so mm -hmm. to speak. And even actually we have a new website coming out soon where the main slogan that we use on it is, is merch is dead. Um, so we very much are anti that. And from day one have tried to position ourselves in our messaging in that way. 
um, and have that be shown through our product assortments and selection. So we can, of course, create apparel and we can create fantastic apparel but um what we honed in on actually kind of our amazon books so to speak was plush toys funny enough and still to this day the uh over 50 percent of our product sales come through plush toys funny enough um they, i don't know exactly what it is i my assumption is that you know a plush toy can actually be a physical representation of ip a character the creator themselves etc and it's an opportunity for the fan to take a piece of that home with them, basically. Um, but we very much kind of made our splash in the space with those products first. Um, and then, of course, expanded our, our selection to basically include anything we want now at this time. We're very sort of uh, brand or vertical agnostic. Mm -hmm. we, can, we can kind of create whatever is necessary for that specific creator. And I guess... Juniper, how did you come up with the name? Because I feel like that's quite a unique uh, name for it. It's not like Brandy or like Merch R Us. You know, I mean, there's, Juniper is a little bit more unique. How did that name come to be? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so uh, big story behind that that I won't fully bore you with. But um, yeah, we actually started off as two separate companies. I had a company called Imprint. Um, that I think was more associated with that idea of, of uh, sort of imprinting your brand on stuff. And there was uh, Joel and Ryan, as we had mentioned before, started this company called Juniper. The, uh, the Juniper tree, from our understanding, is, you know, sort of one of the fastest growing ferns, so to speak. And we've kind of based the logo. Uh, I think the logo came first before the name even, where mm. the tree is representative of that fast growth. You kind of have a J as part of it. And the tree actually is in the shape of a YouTube play button um, kind of stacked on top of each other. Mm -hmm. So I, I would almost say that that came first and then Juniper kind of uh, came second associated with it. I mean, that's pretty cool. It makes a lot of sense. It's a unique name. And like I was saying before, I, I've i trimmed a lot of Junipers, work a lot of Junipers doing in my bonsai days as well, which is really, really random fact and funny. And I love Juniper tea and everything else. So enjoy the name besides how the story you sold but also just the uh plant represents so you start you start to you know you start you're starting a business developing these products one thing that i guess will come to mind is that a lot of maybe and this could be a misconception like a lot of these content creators either one are not that interested in like developing a supply chain learning how to develop merch like a lot of them are they're just a content creator what, is there a big education portion of it, or is it more of the fact that you know during the, during the early days, or I guess now, the content creators would come to you and say, "Hey, I want to build some merch. Figure out figure out something for me." Or kind of how's the relationship formed? Is it a lot more on educating the um, the creator, or is the creator coming to you with like a, an idea that you're going to have to manage and mold into a business? Um, yeah, it's it's so different on a creator to creator basis um yeah i think folks are familiar with the idea that they can go and if they really wanted to put the pieces of the puzzle together themselves so they're familiar probably with alibaba uh with you know amazon fba and they're like yeah like i could probably go and make some of this stuff happen to some degree um uh, what we kind of come in and sell to them is like, listen, don't like, don't, 
don't stress about all that stuff because there's actually a lot more to it than you even think. Um, yeah. And um, and yeah, like we'll be able to do it to make all of us way more money and to do it way faster as well. But um, yeah, like s some creators already actually even have existing businesses that they've tried to run themselves. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I, actually, I think that's become more and more common and is more and more of interest to creators to kind of manage part of that themselves. And so we're structuring part of our deals around that as well. But um, yeah, you, you kind of get a mixed bag depending on what they started with. And I, I really do think like um, creation and developing a supply chain, extremely difficult, especially now with COVID or at least, I mean, in Ontario, COVID's still a thing, but still with the impact of COVID. I mean, that's, uh, I don't say that was recent. That's almost two years ago. When that occurred with the, not creation of COVID, when COVID was occurring and everything was freezing, the supply chains were freezing, shipping was freezing. How did you get through that? Because I feel like that would be a big part of your business that may be challenging to especially develop those supply chains and kind of work with manufacturers. Well, COVID was created, wasn't it, in a lab? <laughs> um, we, uh, so we were very fortunate to have kind of front loaded all of that supply chain building work prior mm -hmm. to COVID. So we, uh, my partner and I had, I, I had lived in China actually for a few months uh, back in 2015. Um, I had been there several times sort of between then and 2020 mm -hmm. uh, when COVID occurred. So we already thankfully started planting the seeds then and had the partnerships and our own full-time employees mm -hmm. working in China beforehand um, such that they could continue growing themselves. Um, honestly, yeah, if, if timelines were a bit different and we um, you know, were maybe off by a year or two, it could have been a very different story about how mm -hmm. we would be able to set up a powerful supply chain because we only are able to do what we do as effectively as we can because we have 20 to 30 boots on the ground mm -hmm connecting with these manufacturers uh, in an effective way. And that's huge. I know I spoke to a few others who develop goods within China and having boots on the ground is like, is the key. Like it's so, let alone developing merch, developing a supply chain network, knowing who the good suppliers are, developing products with timelines. That's a whole beast on its own. That's why I love organizing large multi-billion dollar organization to outsource that. Because it is no simple task for an individual just to be like, oh, I'm just going to call a factory in China, get get some mock-ups and see if we what we can build. So that's great that you kind of were, I mean, you thought it through and really started developing the supply chain first to, to, for your ability to develop the products at the speed you do. Yeah, no, just to pile on that, like there are... Um, <laughs> There are so many levels or there can be so many levels of middlemen between the manufacturer and the purchaser, so to speak. And you have no idea who you're talking to unless you're kind of there. So you have no idea if you're getting the best price or just, yeah, being kind of screwed with. Um, but also even like what a factory is defined as. Um, or there are so many definitions for, for a factory too. So I think we all kind of assume whenever we think of factory, um, a like a, a Foxconn like factory, mm -hmm. right? You sort of have, you know, um, hundreds of people there putting like little parts together on this assembly line. It feels very um, kind of professional in that sense. You know, we went to visit a, a factory, so to speak, and um, saw four women sitting at a table sewing plush toys. Um, and that was the factory. So oh, wow. it's, <laughs> and so you never have a sense of scale, professionalism, mm -hmm. et cetera, unless you really go there. And, and yeah, that's just so important to get right. That, I think that's why 
interesting with everything. I think one thing people take for granted, especially with like tech, if you've like, you know, growing up in this day and age, you assume everything is the same. Like, oh, hey, like I Google a factory. I can see their photos. Oh, it, it should be easy. I buy everything online. Like, I think that is one of the fa- factors people find it challenging, especially startups or entrepreneurs is being able to get the understanding, feet on the ground, understand what's going on, I think is such a big benefit, but also fixes so many headaches down the road. Um, and I think that's one of the things that with outsourcing, a lot of entrepreneurs may mess up or mix. They assume, oh, hey, I hired someone else to f- figure this out. I trust them. But like anyone, everyone always says it entrepreneurship or starting a business, like you can't trust others to watch your business as much as you, you trust your own business or you'd watch out for it because you're much more invested than they are, even if you're paying them. So that's, 100%. you know, great, great perspective. Like you said with like, what is a factory? Like that may sound, <laughs> you know, simple, like, oh yeah, you know, like a big factory, they're going to have machinery to build stuff. And then you realize it's like, oh, it's five people. That's not what I interpreted. And if you're like, Hey, I need hundred thousand units. You just can't get those out thin air. So speaking of factories as well as though, is like, you know, you said plush, plushies were kind of your quite popular, still popular to this day. When you look to develop new products or different like product lines, does it come from the creators kind of asking for it or pushing you towards that direction? Or do you look at kind of what's tr- hate this word, like trending or vir- not viral, but I guess trending in the market and say, Hey, this is a, skew we could develop that should have success or kind of how does skew creation come come to you is it through the creator avenue or is it through you looking for business opportunities that you think would work well for the creator economy yeah great question so um first just to kind of touch on trends we're we will partake in trends when it makes Mm -hmm. sense um but we we don't like trends that much to be honest as silly Mm -hmm. as that might sound um given that we do live in a trend-based kind of world now but like the thing with trends is that they come and go so maybe you can get a pretty quick you know big splash on something like you know the one example of something we uh, caught on to early was the fidget spinner craze like four or five years ago. So yeah, like we made decent, you know, returns during that time, but you're, you're not investing into a skew that is, will stick around and then you can scale across your creator, so to speak. So in general, we try not to look at it in that way. We look, as you kind of said, at what is a great, what is great additional incremental revenue we can generate for our creators from the brands that they have. Um, so for example, you know, one of our creators, um, inquisitor master has, she plays this game called Roblox and has a very sort of like kid friendly, um, kid friendly content. And so a lot of the products we initially made for her were, um, yeah, kind of like soft goods, plush oriented, maybe, you know, onesies apparel, et cetera. But she actually has this other part of her audience that are sort of kind of these teenage, uh, teenage women, um, that we are now able to tap into by launching a nail polish line later this year. Um, totally kind of on the flip side of things. So it's so like brand oriented and what makes sense for that particular market, but it's very rare for creators to actually come to us with those ideas. Um, because I think they just don't even think it's possible. Um, often, right? Like they, again, there's just that belief of like, well, I have merch and cool. I have some premium merch maybe with Juniper so far, but, um, you know, there's no way for me to launch a nail polish line if I wanted to. And and there very much is because these guys are generating millions per year in revenue. Yeah. And so for that example, would you have went to them and say, hey, 
we can develop a nail polish and we think based on your market segmentation, this is a good product to fit the need. Is that kind of how the, re the relationship or new product was created? Exactly. Yeah, oh, totally. And, and of, of course, we have to kind of consider, um, you know, capabilities or existing mm -hmm. partnerships we have at this time. So we started to talk actually with some nail polish manufacturers leading up to um, having that conversation mm -hmm. with the creator. So we felt confident enough to say, hey, I think we can spin something up within 2022. Um, but uh, but actually, like, in theory, and fundamentally, it shouldn't matter, right? Like, mm -hmm. we don't view ourselves as manufacturers mm -hmm. per se like we have networks of manufacturers that we connect to we're product building engine basically um that can attach to whatever manufacturing partner we need to to get products made for our creators that's super interesting i think one of the mis i guess misconceptions or kind of thing that's really interesting is the fact that how you describe your business is that you're developing products for the creators not so much like hey we're just like you said not just creating merch you're saying hey based on your market, based on not, I guess not trends, but based on creation of materials or physical goods that bring value. You're like, Hey, this is a product skew that sh could do well for X market. And we have these creators in that market where we could bring the product towards. I think that's much more complex, but also like, like you said, much more value added service that you're bringing to the, to, to the creators you work with, which is kind of interesting. Cause there's so many different things now. Now, I bet you get asked this a lot, or maybe you don't. Very popular right now is the whole digital assets, NFTs, creating digital things. How do you navigate that conversation? Have you? I'm assuming you've looked into it, but that's a little bit of a different, I guess, avenue. Kind of how did has that affected your business at all, or is one of those things where it's not as common as maybe just the hype seems online with the whole uh, NFT craze? Yeah, well, there, there's, I mean two things here so there's the launching of the digital assets on behalf of creators and then there's just even working with nft projects which which we are starting to oh, do as a company too separately mm -hmm. but but that's to create physical goods for them right um you know i think we saw a huge splash of creators launching nfts um actually like at some point last year i think logan paul made the big launch early on and he was mm -hmm. sort of the first creator on the scene to do so and then you saw a bunch of others doing it but I, i've actually seen very much a dwindling of creators asking for it um i think there's a lot of skepticism still a around um nfts and what it means overall for them and actually i think uh, uh, the market becomes skeptical as well whenever a creator is attached to an nft as well at times yeah so um you know i i definitely believe in certainly the technology long-term. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, I'm, and I think creators will play a huge role in, mm -hmm. um, in leveraging blockchain technology. Um, so yeah, I, I think right now we've sort of seen it, maybe not even peak yet, but mm -hmm. we've seen the current version of the technology mm -hmm. in its current form and we've seen some creators take advantage of it. I'm more excited about what will happen two, three years from now. Mm -hmm. And like, like you said with, uh, trends like trying to develop something that's a little bit long term because the tech behind developing it and i think like you said very skeptical anytime let alone people disliking merch disliking nft launched from a creator can be i mean we've seen it for some other the big these big creators is a little bit of a slippery slope sometimes but it's um like like you said it's gonna be interesting over the next few years to see how that goes but like but really focusing on kind of what you do best is creating these physical goods is quite interesting for sure. And how, I guess, 
right now when you're developing so when you're developing these new goods or kind of looking for new business has it got to the point now where just primarily inbound like has it been very much word of mouth or have you seen a shift for example maybe you start on youtube now it's like twitch content creators tiktok or do you find that it's I don't know if this is the proper term, like social media agnostic. Like it doesn't matter where you come from. Everyone kind of wants the same thing. Or have you found like, hey, YouTube creators tend to go in this direction, Twitch in this direction, TikTok in this direction. Have you seen a big shift between the platform uh, in regards to what type of content they or type of product they want created? So um, type of product per se, no. Um, I don't see too you know big of differences between platforms. I definitely see major, major differences um, in terms of the folks that we want to work with in the creator economy. So um, YouTube is by far still our number one platform. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with just even the creation of a brand and what it means to have a brand. So um, you can't measure the effect this, the effectiveness of a brand and its ability to sell based purely on the number of hits uh, you know their videos get. Um, a lot of I mean, you know, that's what TikTok has kind of shown us is that you have these TikTok creators generating crazy, crazy viewership, but it's over, you know, 10 second clips. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you never really get or you rarely get an opportunity to connect directly with Mm -hmm. the person behind the brand, so to speak, and to actually feel almost like the type of loyalty that is required for you to spend money on them. So we focus a ton of our attention still on YouTube. Um, TikTok is uh, definitely something we can't ignore, um, mm-hmm. but t- Twitch has been a struggle for us. Um, you know, we've worked with a couple of the top Twitch creators and have seen, um, you know, not the type of results that one would expect from working at the top of the market there. Interesting. I, I would just assume, I mean, it makes sense why TikTok may not be as powerful just because less trust is developed like YouTube. And I would even assume Twitch is great because you have, if you watch someone for a hundred hours, you tend just to, I mean, in a weird parasocial relationship, but like you tend just to feel like you're friends with them. You know them so well, you stare at anyone for a hundred hours. Like that's creepy amount of time. But like you, like you said, there's like a huge level of trust. I'm not actually surprised at Twitch just because some people, I mean, you're streaming 40 hours, 50 hours a week. You think there would still be that same level of trust, but it could also just be that the viewers or how the content's created. But that's a little bit of a surprising tidbit that I would have just assumed that Twitch would be number one, just because, you're just watching someone live their life to some extent or play a game, but it's quite very much not. No. Yeah. Like I think um, like the, you are spending maybe a lot of time on Twitch, but think about the content you're viewing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know Twitch isn't all games, but um, often on what dominates Twitch is certainly gamers, right? Um, mm-hmm. You're watching them play games. And so, okay, well you start to think like, well, what is, what is the brand behind this? Right. Um, and is there a power, powerful enough brand? And, you then start looking at, well, honestly, the difference between a creator that shows his face, his or her face mm-hmm. in video or on streams versus not is huge, right? Like we won't work with anyone or even consider working with someone that doesn't show their face um, for semi-obvious reasons, maybe, right? So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, we, we, <laughs> we're still learning, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like we have fairly good equations to determine the... Um, we call it like the merchandisability of a creator, but we've, we still continue to work with creators that we believe will sell millions per year. And sometimes mm-hmm. they'll sell, you know, five figures per year. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a constantly evolving equation for us. 
that, I think that is such an interesting thing. I mean, we've seen the movement, I think, even towards like the whole micro influencer marketing, like the, the idea that trust based marketing is like the new, I don't know if it's a new thing, but it's more popular now just because you have content creators that are primarily focusing like one segment or have that viewership of that perfect target. You know, if you're a truck channel, you want you know, a trucking company goes to you, your gut, everyone who's watching you understands the product that really can't get on TV just because it's so broad. Um, so I think that we've seen that shift especially, but I guess on the reverse side, you're saying, you know, sometimes big content creators may not have the draw or the fan loyalty that's expected. What kind of makes someone more, I guess, in your opinion, like more successful, you know, some may have a smaller view count or smaller subscribe count, but could still outsell some larger content creators. What do you find like obviously showing their face, having good content, but like, is there some key factors that may not be super obvious that may allow for a greater merchant? merchant merchandising uh that may not be expected merchantability i don't know what i'm trying to use but you know we say merchandisability but you know i don't i don't even know if that's correct right um yeah i mean you know some of the obvious ones are like is is there a um is there an audience there that's large Mm -hmm. enough but like the one of the key metrics we look at is engagement so um how are they engaging with the brand on not just kind of the primary social mm-hmm. media, so let's say YouTube, but you know, is there a community of folks on, like, is there a Discord channel? Discord has actually yeah. become a, a cool new way to kind of yeah. assess community mm-hmm. um, recently for us, where previously you would kind of maybe go to Instagram mm-hmm. or Twit, or uh, sorry, um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, what am I saying? Um, Twitter? Twitter, yes, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and would kind of see like, is there activity mm-hmm. there? But now it's Discord. Now we look at like, oh, they have, you know, 50,000 people on Discord. Great. Mm-hmm. Like that's an amazing community. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the presence of things like that. It's things like strong intellectual property too, really, mm-hmm. really helps uh, a creator do well. And then there's just an X factor and it's, you almost can't even describe what that X factor is, but um, yeah, it's the difference between someone that, as you said, like, a, let's say a, a trucker YouTuber mm-hmm. that is able to you know, sell hundreds of thousands of dollars of product versus one that isn't, they might have the exact same metrics. You just feel something when you watch them, you know, Mm -hmm. and you don't, you don't really know how to put it into words, but you feel something and we have to kind of put our, our, our scouting glasses on, Mm -hmm. so to speak, anytime we watch uh, YouTube Mm -hmm. channels. And I think it's similar to like the VC world in some extent where like you have two businesses, same ARR, same thing, but you're like the founders. I just like the fact there's something about them. I just trust them more. And I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the same thing with content creation where there's some people you're just like, they're a star and you don't know why, but they have that it factor, which is, it's so funny how that's still a term and still used, but today is still very true where there's some people that can, are just better. And you're like, I don't know why they're just more engaging, more draw, like everything they do is the same as someone else, but they're just a little bit better. And that's, it's kind of interesting how you brought it up as well as even, you know, everyone in every industry, there's that special factor that can make you more successful. And it's hard to write an essay or do like a, a project on why that is. Um, totally. But one, I guess, I mean, that's pretty unique that, I mean, Discord's a f- funny thing is that Discord has been pretty new, much newer to me over the past few years. I mean, a little bit with gaming back in the day, but now the companies I've even interviewed on the podcast or work like work with, they have their Discord and they're like, hey, for help, join our Discord, look in our Discord. And now I'm seeing all these newer brands or newest companies using Discord to like build that community. And it's been so unique. Uh, and like you said, for like brand loyalty, it's next level. And some of these small companies having like 20,000, 30,000 
And that's where they get most of their sales from over time. Someone's like, yeah, I don't use Instagram anymore. Some YouTube, but like I get all my sales through Discord because we have an active community of Discords and meetups. And that's like you said, like a new platform that is really shaping the brand or at least the under uh, likability of a product or an, an idea. Do you, I guess one question is, do you, when you're developing product, you're working with a creator, does it ever come up like helping, do they have to come to you with an, a brand identity or do you ever help them figure it out or kind of how's that go? Trying to develop kind of what is their product that kind of would sell it? Like, you know, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I think similar to answer as before, it, it sort of varies. So mm-hmm. some of them come in with a very strong brand identity already set. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we can kind of plug into that and take it mm-hmm. to the moon. Um, but yeah, we're very proud to, with a couple of our actually largest you know, revenue generators today, to have played a key role in developing their brand for them. Um, one of our creators we actually took from, yeah, like 100 grand a year to, they did 9 million this past year. Oh, wow. In revenue, which is crazy. Um, and yeah, we were kind of a core part of developing their their IP, their characters. So we never we never play a role in content, so to speak, mm-hmm. ever. Um, but I think we have a very good eye after you know five six years of doing this of you know what does the audience get attached to and what is it about your brand that people really love and how do we sometimes characterize that, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. That just the amount of volume is so surprising. You think for like an individual or a small group to sell that much is mind blowing. I mean, we I think we've seen it today with the shift from traditional media to more of this content creation. Do you, I guess, do you see that like being a bigger shift and continuing like more content marketing uh, brand development being through that creator economy rather than the typical hey we're gonna because it's February, you know, buy a Super Bowl ad. Do you see a lot more people kind of moving towards being individuals, developing their own brand and content rather than, I mean, the, I guess, famous thing is like Mr. Beast making his own chocolate bar instead of sponsoring another chocolate bar. Like, do you see that being a bigger shift over the next few years that these content creators will become bigger brands in themselves and kind of no longer, I guess, as much require getting branding deals from other brands? Yeah, I, I absolutely see this and I'm, you know, it's, it's exciting that we're kind of in the back half of this mm-hmm. evolution where indeed companies kind of started by just paying for their, for creators to kind of promote their brand. You then kind of moved into the second wave of, of the evolution where they kind of did now like deeper collaborations with each mm-hmm. other, so to speak. And now we're moving into a world where creators are like owning their own brands. Uh, fully. And I think it makes a ton of sense. Like the marketing power is absolutely there. The connection to the audience is there. They have everything that they need from that perspective. Now, mm-hmm. if anything, they just need to plug a supply chain into the back end mm-hmm. to make it all work. So I, th- I think it's great. And yeah, we're, we're Mr. Beast is definitely leading the way with that. Um, but uh, we're just around the corner from seeing, I think, a lot more of these happen. And I mean, I think we even see the transition with different generations paying attention kind of focusing on it, realizing that these YouTube and streaming stars are first making like seven figures a year. So it's no, not just a, oh, this is a fun hobby. They're making more money than some businesses at at this point, which is surprising and shocking, but I think gets the knowledge. And I mean, we've seen like uh, entrepreneurial websites talking about it as well. One thing that's always interesting with, even with like for kind of jumping around a little bit is with your past. So, you know, you've had 
entrepreneurship, had a few startups in the past, kind of gone through all those journeys to where you are today. Is there anything within the whole startup mentality or things you hear that you feel is a little bit untrue or incorrect or easier than people think? That's a little, another question is a little bit on the spot. I hear tend to get different answers, but is there anything you find found easier that people think is harder or more difficult uh, than it may actually be from all your experiences creating and running startups? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying people would assume before they started a startup that this one thing would be terribly difficult, but yeah. actually it's a little bit easier than expected. Yeah. Um. Like one, one example that always comes up, or this is a little bit similar, is one thing I, I've talked to a few people is that the whole idea of like the gr- the grinding mentality, They're like you never need to sleep, it's 34 hour, you know, 34 hours a day. And you talk to pretty successful people and they're like, hey, sleep's kind of important over the long term. Like some days are sleepless, but you kind of need your rest and like managing a life. And so a lot of people, they tend to say like, hey, like health is important. And I think that is maybe... I guess that's a little bit different question, but like health is something you should take into consideration early on if you want longevity or raising, some people say raising funding is a lot simpler. Some say it's more challenging. I guess it's depending on the industry, but it's really a mix, I think, is what's seen on, funny enough, social media versus the real life tends to be quite a dramatic shift from actually being in it day to day. Yeah, I mean, a quick note on that, like I had a good conversation and then I'll answer your question mm-hmm. separately. Um, I had a good conversation with a friend of mine a year or two ago and he he's very well connected in the space. Mm-hmm. And he, he asked me that exactly. He's like, hey, like with Unikid, I noticed that you seem to work hard, but, you know, you're you're not killing yourself on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Whereas I look at my other friend over here who's like, you know, gained 30 pounds in the last year has like stressed up the wazoo and uh, Mm -hmm. like can't seem to figure it out. And I think what we landed on is that it's incredibly challenging, but like when it's right, it's, it it still clicks in and Mm -hmm. you're working for something that um, actually where you will see meaningful progress on it. Like if you are bashing your head against a wall a million times over and you've done this for like years now, you probably, it's, it's not a question of, did you work hard enough? <laughs> you yeah. clearly have. It's a question of, do you have the right product market fit? Um, and so mm-hmm. it's worth altering that. So I definitely think it's difficult, but it shouldn't kill you, so to speak, which is maybe how it's commonly shown or talked mm-hmm. about. The, the, to answer your question uh, in my way. So um, yeah, I mean, we definitely run a bit of a different business than, mm-hmm. than, than many, but what we've been very proud of is being profit-driven since day one. So we've, mm-hmm. we, we haven't had to raise a single cent. Um, and uh, I think that's been kind of easier than I expected. And that's how we continue to, even as we move into kind of new business lines now, we still think about that. Like, how do we generate revenue and, and make this profitable as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. And it's given us just so much uh, breathing room and control of our company to do so. So, um, and that was a big surprise going into this. I, I, I assumed that the only way to build a company was to, to raise money. And literally everybody told me that, even my close mentors that knew what I was working on and knew, knew, you know, knew me very well. But I think there is very much a different way. And I think instead of us thinking about how do I show the metrics such that I can raise money, I mm-hmm. think what would make it even easier to raise money, and I can't speak from experience mm-hmm. quite yet, is to show how quickly you're able to get to profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, that's actually a great point. I think that's one thing that's shocking to most people. I think one of the issues is that like, if you're trying to be a trillion dollar business, you kind of have to grow at such a pace where you need cash. Like to go from zero to a billion dollars in one year, it is impossible just to sell something. I think one of the challenges you social media is people expect like, oh, I'm starting a business. How can this become a unicorn in under two years? And the problem with one is one, very difficult. But two is most very successful people you'll talk to or have businesses. It's like, oh yeah, no, this has been like a slow grind, but like owning a hundred percent of a hundred million dollar business is a lot more money in your pocket than like 0.01% of a, I don't know if this math adds up, like a billion dollar business. Yes, probably correct. Yeah. So like, I think that's one of the things as well is I think, and I, I like how you touched on that. Like you don't need to, I think one of the things everyone always hypes up raising because it sounds cool to be like, oh, I just got a million dollars. You know, I have an idea and seed. I got 2 million in seed. But I've talked to many startups who are like, well, I got $2 million, but now I have a investors that I have to report to. So not really an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm still running my own startup, but I'm kind of working for other people now. And I think, like you said, a lot of glory, glorification goes into the idea of like raising money for the sake of just raising to compete with friends rather than being like, why do I need the money? And everyone you speak to, if you can show profit and you want to raise, it's 10 times easier. I think social media might have ruined it a little bit where like Facebook, Uber are like, no profit, but we're $100 billion valuation, I think kind of skewed the idea. But every time I talk to a VC or someone, they're like, if you can show us how we're going to make money, it's so much easier to get investment as well because they're like, oh, if we give you X, we'll get Y. So yeah, and I think that's a great point. It makes a lot of sense. And I think it's more common. I don't think everyone raises, but I think it's not as sexier in the news to be like, company raises no money and is you know worth hundreds of millions it's more it's tends to be a little more newsworthy to be like 14 year old child gets 10 million dollars in seed fund to start the next like facebook where you're like well that's not how most billionaires or multi uh millionaires are really making their money these days so you know that's a, i think that's a great yeah. point no i mean I, I get it it's it's a splash of money in one go uh, which is why it's newsworthy in that sense but I, yeah it's quite silly that it has been glorified in that way like what you're effectively saying is like, I sold part of my company. I gave up some of my company to someone else, you know? Um, and I have actually less control of it now. And I have no, and, and less control of my own future mm -hmm. here. Um, so no, we're, we're quite also kind of, I mean, I say that we, we might raise eventually, but we're, yeah. we're quite anti-raising because of everything that comes with that mentality. And it's funny too, like I remember when we were, not even just when we were first starting out, like even a couple of years ago when we were starting to generate some pretty serious mm -hmm. revenue, um, we were applying to work at different co-working spaces here in mm -hmm. Toronto. And one of the prerequisites that a couple of these had was that we needed to have raised money to, to really? be a part of their co-working space. And we're like, but like we've generated millions already. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? So it, the, the glorification is super interesting. Yeah. That's super funny. I think it's like the, uh, I think that's like a, almost a similar issue when like to some startups now where it's like, Hey, like we have the money, we can afford it ourselves. Like, why do you need this? And I guess it's the same thing. It's super easy just to say, Hey, there's a number here. But like, like I said, most, when you talk to most entrepreneurs, it's like super interesting. I think like one of the other misconceptions, like you have to invent something, like you have to invent a technology or invent something where most businesses are a improvement on a process, making a process easier, or just like taking what's already existing and having a slight improvement. I think that's also one thing that is taken for granted or 
again, like over glorified as like inventing something when most ideas are an iteration or a process change on something that's currently being done, but better for consumers or better for profitability or clear lines to revenue. But um, yeah, no, it's super interesting, especially with, like you say, having such a tremendous growth and in an industry also that is growing, which is super exciting, uh, which is always good to see. It's like being in, I guess, kind of speaking of nfts if you're like in nft space like or a crypto space like five years ago you're like i'm a genius this is great but like i think DeFi or the creator economy is something that is just as big is just as big and going to continue growing for at least i mean for the foreseeable future we see a lot of the news getting a little bit nervous with uh podcasts hosts and uh, other content creators kind of controlling the masses getting more viewership than a tv channel which is always funny when how we spoke on Mr. Beast getting 50 million on, you know, on of views where no TV channel gets that in a day, like no other network can get the same amount of eyes. And I think that's something that you can't deny. Like people always talk down like, Oh, you're just a YouTuber, but attention is attention no matter where you get it. And I think that is something people in markets and private firms are starting to see more and more. Um, but yeah, no, uh, super interesting story. And I guess before we hop off, uh, any, last wise words, anything else. And if you want to follow around the journey, like uh, what's the best place to kind of what's the website to visit and kind of where do you post most of your content to follow along in the uh, great success you've had over the past few, few years? 